Well, we are continuing in our series on the book of James, and we started two weeks ago, and the series called Waking the Dead, because we've been talking about how the church can very easily be filled with spiritual zombies, people that are, know what they're supposed to do, but when they choose not to live it, James says that faith is dead. That faith is worthless. This side of heaven, when we, when we see what scripture has to say that we're called to do and we choose not to do it, James says this side of heaven, it's useless. And you can have your PhD in, in what the Bible says about marriage. You can have your PhD in what the Bible says about parenting or, or, or finances. And he says, but if you choose not to do it, if you don't apply it, what good is it? And last week, we looked at how God can bring and God can also allow these trials in our lives. You say, well, why in the world would God allow that stuff? Why would God bring that? And we looked at what James said. It says it's to bring about and to develop this enduring, this persevering faith. Why? So that when things get hard for you, you don't quit. That you just don't drift, that you just don't fall away. He wants us, because with the, the, the young Jewish believers that he was talking to were, were being persecuted. They were going through all kinds of trials. And so he's helping us understand that when you go through these struggles, when you go through these challenges, when you go through these testings, these trials, don't quit. Don't give up. Because the thing that we naturally gravitate for and we have a higher value is probably more so for comfort. And what James says, the end goal for every single follower of Jesus is spiritual maturity. And so if it's always just going to be about comfort, you're never going to experience maturity. And so you have got to consider it joy as we're going through this, not because of the trial, but in the trial, so that you build this developing, this maturing faith that's going to make you more, make you more like Christ. And the, re, and the way that James tells us this, the way that this happens is not just through listening, but taking what I know I believe and applying what I believe. And so this morning, as we jump into the passage, uh, the scripture, we're going to see that, that if we will learn to do, all right, if we're going to learn to do what our faith teaches, then God is going to somehow, some way, use our doing, he says, to save or preserve our soul, not heaven and hell, but the healing of our soul. And you say, well, how do you know, right? That'd be an absolutely appropriate question for you to say, well, Bob, how do you know he's not talking? When he says soul, how can you say it's not talking about heaven or hell? And again, this is why it's so important. Again, I encourage you, go do your own study. When you do a word study, when you do a concordance study, and you look up every single time the word soul is used in the New Testament, you'll see that there's 105 times in the New Testament that the word soul is used. Five times in all of the New Testament is talking about heaven and hell, and it's not used in James. So you can, go, you can do all your word study. The other, there's 50 times that it's used to talk about your mind, emotions, and will. The other 50 times, that word soul literally means your life, your life on earth. And that's what James is getting at. See, some verses will say that you have a soul. Some verses will help you understand that we are a soul. And again, your soul is a part of your life that is going to live somewhere forever, 
right? Your body is what anchors your soul here on this earth. In fact, the Bible says that, that when he tells us that we are to put away certain desires, right? It's because they wage war against our soul. And this is what James is talking about. So for instance, when you, just, when you pray for peace, when you beg and plead you know, with God for peace, where does peace reside? When you pray for contentment, when you pray for that wonderful thing called patience, where does it reside? Like, what's he talking about? It's not just in your mind and it's not just emotion, but it's in your soul. And so when we struggle with anger and you struggle with jealousy and you struggle with lust and you struggle with greed, it's more than just an emotion and it's more than just a thought. It's something so much deeper. He says, you're experiencing, we see from scripture that you experience this, this, this war that is going on against your soul. It's that flesh against your spirits, going against your soul. And so what James is trying to help these young believers and he's trying to help us understand that when we are willing to put our feet to our faith and we live it out, God does something that preserves in your soul this peace, this contentment, this patience. You're gonna wonder how in the world does that work? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter one, and we're going we're gonna to start this morning in verse 19. James chapter one, we're going to start in verse 19. He says, my dear brothers, he says, take note of this. In other words, pay special attention to this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Can you imagine if we actually just stopped right there and said, let's close in prayer and you can leave because you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to apply that one verse, right? Right? If you're married, you know that that is one of the biggest challenges that you have. We want you to be slow to speak. We want you to be quick to listen and we want you to be slow to anger. We talk a lot about this as a staff, and we, we, I talk a lot about it in marriage counseling. I talk about it like this. I say, listen, one of the greatest things you can do is stay curious. Give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Choose to believe the best in them and ask them. Stay curious. Say, hey, listen, when you said this, what did you mean? Versus, I can't believe you said this. You meant this, and you start making accusations. But when we stay curious, we stay, we, we stay slow to anger, right? We, we choose to, to take a posture of wanting to stay curious with the other person and ask. They might not have meant that. It might have tweaked something in me that came from something else. But when I stay curious, what do I do? I'm slow to speak. I'm quick to listen. And I'm slow to become angry. Instead of jumping to conclusions, you stay curious and you say, hey, help me understand what it was that you said, or why did you do this, or what did you mean by this? Give the person the benefit of the doubt. And again, for some of you, that's why you're here this morning. This is exactly why God, you're one or like, why did we come to silent? That's why you came, just maybe just for that one verse. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Jane goes on, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, is anybody caught off guard by that? I mean, we can probably all give testimony to that, right? If you have a temper, you know that the outcome of your anger is not good. 
Like I've never heard in the 27 years of ministry, I've never heard anybody come into my office and say, Bob, our, we've been really struggling in our marriage, but I'm telling you, once I started expressing my anger more and more, things got so much better. It's never happened, not once. I mean, you know, what? I'm just telling you, when, when I started verbally letting my anger come out towards my kids, it's amazing the respect that I got from my children. Never's happened. You know, it's interesting at work when I stopped suppressing my anger, but I started like verbalizing my anger towards employees and especially my boss, I got so many promotions. It was incredible, right? And the reason we laugh is because we know how foolish that sounds. Because why? Because our anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Doesn't work. So he goes on to explain why this is so important. Verse 21, therefore, so here it is, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And now we're going to start seeing behind the scenes and humbly accept or receive the word, talking about the gospel, planted in you, which can save you, save your soul. And again, if you're reading from the NIV, it just says, which can save you. But in every Greek text, in every Greek text, which I don't know why the NIV doesn't put it in there, but in every Greek text, it says to save your soul. See, in, 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 in this half of a verse, he gives us a word picture that, dis, that really kind of describes what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, for all of us that are believers, for every single one of you that has chosen to trust Jesus Christ for your salvation, there has been an, an amount of truth that has been implanted in you. There's just truth. We have the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that now resides in us. We have God's word that is now being planted. The more you read the Bible, more truth is being planted in you. You might have, you know, uh, maybe you get more truth when you, when you go to church or somebody has given you a, a great Christian book and you're, and you're reading that. So again, you have some more truth. But in order for that truth, that word, okay, that he's talking about, the gospel, in order for that to have an impact on what's going on outside of you, he's saying, listen, you have to humbly accept it. It can't have the impact outside of you until you choose to humbly accept it. In other words, there are some things that you need to acknowledge. There's just some things that you need to acknowledge that are true and quit and, and you need to refuse, you know, kind of putting them aside. But some of you is what James is saying. Some of you are, re are refusing to even acknowledge them. There are some truths that you know you need to face. There are some truths that you know you need to come to grips with. Where you come to the point where you quit arguing with God and you just say, God, you're right. I don't necessarily like it, but God, you're right. But he says, you're refusing to do that. And James would tell us, and consequently, because you're resisting because you're, you're refusing, because you're stiff-armed, because you're choosing not to humbly accept it, you're paying a high price. And the expense is your soul, not heaven and hell. You're, you're, the expense is the peace in your soul. The expense is the contentment in your soul. The expense is the joy in your soul. It's 
the expense is your life. That's what James is getting at. Right? And we get into these arguments with God, right? And so it's always interesting to me. I'll hear stuff like, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, right, it's always that one. Yeah, yeah, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I know what the preacher said, but, you know, I know this is probably not the right thing, but, right? And we get into these things, and so all of a sudden, on one hand, we try to keep God at a distance, right? We try to keep God at bay with all the yeah buts, but then all of a sudden, life gets really hard, and life gets really difficult, and we start doing this. Oh God, please, I need your insight. God, I need wisdom. God, I need you to come rescue me. God, I need, right? And James is trying to go, oh, it doesn't work that way. If you, if, if I, I, I've given you all kinds of applicable truths that will lead to wisdom, that will lead to peace, that will bring you contentment, that will bring you joy, that will help you have patience, but you want to make all kinds of excuses, all the yeah buts, but when you, if you would just humble yourself and accept the word that's been implanted in you, James was, wants us to understand that if you would do that, it'll preserve your life. But if you choose not to live it, it's gonna come at the expense of your life. I want, I want you to just think from a medical standpoint. You're familiar with organ transplants, right? Whether it's a heart transplant, a kidney transplant, a lung transplant, and they get a, you know, they take the bad one out and they take a good one and they put it in and they hook it all up and they sew you back up. And then what do they do? They wait. What are they waiting for? They're waiting to see if what they've implanted, if your body accepts it. They're waiting to see if, if what's already been implanted in you and it's all hooked up, if all of a sudden will your body use that organ the way it was designed to be used or will your body do what? Reject it. Will it reject it? And James is saying that's what's pretty much happening to us as believers. Of course, they didn't have organ transplants then, but we can see the imagery that God had planted in us his word, his truth. But there is a tendency for us at times to not use it, to not allow it to have its full effect. And so with all, you know, so in a sense, we reject it. Having the knowledge and choosing not to use it is not wisdom. It's what? It's foolishness. And we're, we're choosing in a lot of ways to just reject that truth. And James would say, you're missing out. You're missing out. On one hand, you want all the benefit that God has to bring. But on the other hand, you don't want to apply what he tells you to do. And he says, you, you wonder why you're so frustrated. You wonder why you're discouraged. You wonder why you're so angry. But if you would be willing to humble yourself and accept it, and then choose to live it out. I'm telling you, you're gonna experience the peace. You're gonna experience contentment. You're gonna experience the wisdom and the joy. Don't reject what's been implanted into you. Verse 22, so do not merely just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Look what it says. Do what it says. James got a raw deal. 
Somehow Nike got all the credit for just do it. Right? I mean, it, it really comes back to him. Just do it. Quit. It's not enough just to show up to church and just listen to another sermon, right? It's not enough to just, to, to just go in there and kind of nod your head or maybe even say amen or maybe even clap or, or whatever that might be. We can't just show up and hear another message and just leave and do nothing about it. What good is it James is trying to help us understand? I mean, you could come in here, you feel like, man, you're just talking to me. You leave this building, feel incredibly convicted. You apply nothing throughout the week. And you're just wondering like, man, I don't know why my faith's not growing. I'm at church all the time. I can feel, I can, I feel like I, even God talks to me at times. And I just don't know why I'm struggling. It's because you have to do what it says. This is why we have the, the model of discipleship that we have, that, that we want you in a small group. This has nothing to do with, with promoting a program. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you, the last thing I want is another meeting. To be brutally honest, like the last thing I want is another meeting. Our small group meets on Sunday night. I'm wiped out. by Sunday. I get up at 4.30 on Sunday mornings. I'm studying until I get here, preach three messages. A lot of times we'll have meetings after that. I don't get home till three, you know, sometimes three o'clock in the afternoon if I've got some other stuff. And then I've got group. I love the people I'm with, but I'm not looking for another meeting. But I am so committed to our group. Why? Because I need it just as much as they do. And we're going to be in relationship with each other because when they're struggling, I want to be there for them. And when I'm struggling, my expectation is they're going to be there for me. And we're going to walk this stuff out and thick and thin. And we're going to challenge and we're going to sharpen one another. And we're going to push and encourage one another. Why? Because when we are struggling, I don't want us to quit. Why? Because God is trying to mature us. He's trying to shape us. He's trying to develop us more into his image and a whole lot less like my flesh. And so again, as, as James is saying, is, listen, you're going to go through the daily struggles. You're going to go through the daily battles. And he's saying, you've got to not just be hearers only. You've got to live this stuff. So I talk to the men that come on, on Wednesday morning. It's, it's such a blessing to my heart to have, I don't know how many, we have 140 some guys or whatever that show up on a Wednesday morning at six o'clock in the morning. Like who does that? A bunch of crazy guys come and meet us. And we have this amazing, uh, these amazing small groups. And as we're learning, I'm like, guys, listen, this means nothing if we don't you know, go apply it. It's a waste of time. Stay in bed. Like literally just stay in bed. Like if you're not gonna apply this in your marriage and you're not gonna apply this with your kids, then you're not gonna apply it in the workforce and you're not gonna you know, really put this into action, you're wasting your time. Like God's not impressed like, wow, you got up at 5.30. If we don't do it. And James would say, don't deceive yourselves. I don't care if you can articulate the, the different dispensations I don't care if you've got the book of Revelation memorized and you've got all of it, you know, like, okay, first, you know, there's, there's the, you know, Jesus, you know, there's a trumpet that's blown and there's the rapture and then there's judgment seat of Christ and seven years of tribulation. And, you know, and then after that, you know, is the battle of Armageddon. And then after, like, I don't care. Like none of that means anything to God. Knowledge is great and understanding is all that stuff is wonderful. He's saying, listen, if we don't apply what we know this side of heaven, it's worthless. And James goes on, he gives us an illustration, verse 23. 
anyone who listens to the word but does not, what's it say? Come on, I know you're in here. All right, there you are. I'm telling you, it is appropriate for you to speak in church. I'm just gonna tell you, it's okay. Unless you're saying really mean things to me. All right, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks, you should underline that, looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and underline this, immediately forgets what he looks like. Notice he said a man, because that wouldn't happen with a woman. But anyway, but immediately forgets what he looks like. See, it's like a person when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, and that Greek word for look means to look intently. That's what it's talking about, that you would look intently. And this, is, this isn't some glance at a mirror, right? This isn't just kind of walking by and you take a quick glance, you know, when you're at a store and you just kind of want to still check yourself out. That's not, that's not, it's like you stop and you're looking intently to see yourself as you really are. And then when James says you immediately forget what he's getting at is when you're no longer in front of the mirror, like you do everything you can to forget about what you saw. That's what, that's what James is talking about that you intentionally put out of your mind what you just saw. Like you don't wanna have anything to do with it. Now, let me just ask you, would we ever really do that in our physical world? Just be honest. Like you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna do anything about that. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you this morning, when you got up, you, had, you could either be a doer of what you saw or you could just be a hearer only, right? When you got up, for those of you that are not bald, with your hair, I'm sure you did something, right? You just didn't look intently. You just didn't look. You just didn't focus into the mirror and kind of look and then not do anything. You became a doer of what you saw, right? The same is true with your breath. Pray, pray to God you did something about your breath, right? That, that you, when, you, you, when you got up and you realized you know, maybe, you know, toothpaste and mouthwash, like that would be something that you would want to do. You weren't just a hearer, you were a, a doer. Again, when you, when you looked at your clothes, that you would, you would put something on besides pajamas that when you, when you come to church, right? We become, we would never do this in the physical world. And just think about it. How many mirrors did you even look at today? Because the most, most likely, here's what we do, and in James, this is what James is getting at, with it, that when you look intently into, when it comes to our faith, we can look intently into this mirror, and then we immediately forget. We walk away as if it never happened. But what we realize in the physical world is that you'll be in the mirror on Sunday, and maybe throughout every, maybe it's every day. You're in the mirror every single day. And for some of us guys, it doesn't matter how long we look in the mirror. It's just not going to get any better, right? But for, for most of you, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to go and, and, and maybe your spouse is going, hey, we got to go. We got to go. It's time to leave. We're going to be late. I know I'll be there in a minute. And you leave that mirror and you get in your car and you pull down the next mirror, and you start looking at that. And then when you get here, but good possibility, especially if it's windy out there, you're gonna walk in and you're gonna head straight to the bathroom to look at another mirror. Or it might be one of those things you pop up, right? To kind of look at that mirror and you, and you again, you know, just do whatever you do with all that stuff, right? I mean, there's just one mirror to the next mirror and to the next mirror, right? 
Why? When we see what we do physically, we want to put action to it. We're not satisfied with that. But for some reason, in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual world, in our marriages, in our finances, we wouldn't, if we are just hearers only, in the physical world, we're never satisfied, but yet, your spouse is telling you, I'm not happy. I feel alone. I don't feel like you listen to me. I don't feel like you care. You're always at work. You like hanging out with the guys more than me. You like being able to hang out with your girlfriends more than me. All this stuff, you're just a hearer only. You're not doing anything about it. What would it look like for you to take it so seriously that you're gonna be a doer of what God's word says to do and how to treat and love and respect and care for your spouse. Same with finances. Same in the area of your spiritual walk. If we became doers, like we're not like God's calling you to spiritually grow up, like to mature, like to have this, this walk with God that would be consistent. And what James is trying to help us understand is that as a follower of Jesus, we have the gospel, this truth that has been implanted in us. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. So why in the world would you look in a mirror and see what needs to change and then try to walk away trying to immediately forget what you just saw? Again, physically, we would never do that. But when it comes to the areas of our soul, we become negligent. And James is saying that kind of faith, that kind of faith is dead. That kind of faith is dead. And James, James goes on and gives us a little bit more perspective. Verse 25, he says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, he's talking about God's word, that gives freedom, God's word that gives freedom and continues to do this, literally means to abide in it, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be, and what's that word? Blessed. Yeah. He will be blessed in what he does. And so what James is helping us understand here is that the personally who intentionally abides in God's word, God's perfect law, it's gonna bring you freedom, not restrictions. The, the reason God says no in scripture, if, you, if you'll study this, if when you see God saying no to something, it's because he's saying yes to something so much better. But yet we can often see God's word as, oh man, it's just a bunch of rules, it's just a bunch of, right? And as a parent, when you give your kids rules, is it because you can't stand your children? No, you're giving them, why? Because you love them and you're trying to create some boundaries for them. You want to say yes to the good things, so you've got to say no to sometimes it's even hard because you, you know that you know, they, they don't see it. I mean, there's times, so many times my son, he's incredibly responsible. My youngest, uh, you know, and he wants to stay out a little later at night and wants to hang out with his friends. And again, it's all, I'm not concerned about what they're doing. I'm not concerned about any of that stuff. I said, buddy, listen, I fully, absolutely trust you. I just don't trust the other people that are out there this time of night. 
So it has nothing to do with you. But dad, you're just so mean and you're such a killjoy. Like, he's not saying that, thankfully. Maybe in his heart, I don't know. <laughs> but again, is it because I'm just an awful father? No. It's because I want to say yes to life. And so what James is saying, he says, when we, that, that when we abide in God's word, and we don't forget what it says, and we will actually apply it, James says, you're gonna be blessed. You're gonna be blessed. God is going to bless not your hearing. God is going to bless your doing. You're living this stuff out. I mean, think of it this way. When my kids were younger, and uh, they, you know, they would get these gifts or we would buy these gifts for whether it's birthday or Christmas. You know, the, you know those toys that you have to put together like it takes a master's of engineering, right? And, and again, I'm already, I'm already not really great at that kind of stuff. So for me, unlike probably a number of you, you, you probably don't even have need the directions. I need the directions. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that stuff out and I've got the directions and, and I'll kind of read, okay, for, Thing one, you know, do this. Okay, I come over here and do that. And then I come back to the direction. Okay, good. And I come back here and I try to put that. I come back here, right? And I'm going back to these directions. And I keep going back and I keep going back and I'm over here. And then when, if I follow the directions and I'm putting this together, then, then the toy works correctly. And what God is saying, when you will follow my directions, if you won't just be a hearer only, if you will actually apply the directions and take my word seriously and you abide in what scripture says and you will listen to the Holy Spirit that's speaking in your life, when you listen to the perfect law, I'm telling you, it will bring you freedom and then you go live it. When you look in the mirror and see what needs to be done and you decide you're going to do it, the Holy Spirit, and God says, listen, we are going to bless you, but you have to do your part. The reality for so many of us is we pray, we, we pray and we plead and we beg God to do his part, but we, we refuse to do ours. God, you're so, why won't you show up? Why won't you do this? Why won't you do these things? And yet we're sitting over here, God's going, I would love to. I'm absolutely capable but I've already given you truth and you're unwilling to apply it. So why would I do my part? Why would I bless you? I can, I would love to. You're one of my kids. And the crazy thing is there's times when God still blesses us even in our midst of our own disobedience and faithlessness. He has in my life. See this, this word blessed, it means, it could mean to be fulfilled. It could mean to be happy. It could mean to be content. It really means to experience peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of difficulty. And so what James is saying, he says, you'll be blessed. The man or woman who will be blessed is the man or woman who will listen Humbly accept it, quit arguing. Humbly accept it, and then do what it says to be done. And God says, I will bless that. I will bless what you do. So let me ask you, 
if you were to apply what God says to do, if you were just to apply it, God says, I'm going to save your soul, not heaven or hell, because that's at the cross. I'm going to save your soul from jealousy. I'm going to save your soul from envy. I'm going to save your soul from anger. I'm going to save your soul from lust. I'm going to save your soul from discontentment. And instead, I'm going to bless you with joy, love, peace, contentment, patience, kindness, gentleness. Let me ask you, would that be worth it? Would that be worth it? Would you not consider yourself blessed? So here's what I believe God's asking of us. Then I'm going to close. Here's what I believe he's asking. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Listen, I know it might be hard to stop doing certain things in order to start doing God's things. God knows that. But will you trust me? See, for some of you, maybe it's, it's God saying, hey, do you trust me enough to get out of that relationship? Do you trust me enough to stay in that marriage? Do you trust me enough to go have that conversation at work and take responsibility for your part in that? Do you trust me enough to ask and humble yourself and ask for forgiveness? Is, will, you, will you trust me enough to extend forgiveness even though you're really angry and hurt and upset? But I've called you to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Will you trust me when I'm asking you to give sacrificially, financially? But God, I don't, no, 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 I don't want your argument. Will you trust me to still provide for you? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will you trust me? Will you trust me when your buddies still wanna to go to those places that I've told you, I don't want you going there anymore, it's not appropriate for you, it's not healthy for you, it's not healthy for your relationship with me or for you, with your spouse? Will you trust me with that conversation? Will you trust me? Because I know that you're living together because you think it's financially responsible, but I'm telling you, it's not appropriate. Will you trust me? See, God knows all the stuff. I don't know what it is with you, but I know what it is for me. And just like he asked you, he asked me, Bob, do you trust me? Because if you and I will trust him and will actually not be hearers only, but be doers of his word, and we do what he tells us to do, he says, we will be blessed. So, Sci Life, just do it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that this book of James, it, man, feels like I'm getting kicked in the teeth week after week as I open this up and there's just things you expose and things you keep hitting me with. But God, I know it doesn't come from a place of that you're a mean, bad God. 
but that you so love us and you so want to pour out the many blessings that you have. God, if we would just do what you tell us to do, like we tell our kids, that, Lord, we would take that same message we want our children to understand, that as we are your children, we would apply it in our own lives. So, God, as a church, as a body, as individuals, as families, God, give us the strength, give us the courage to choose to trust you and then put into action exactly what you tell us to do. Lord, help us just do it. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.